So what I have to say to start, we can do why outlines are being distributed. It's because that we're introducing the observational Bible study course that this message was inspired. And it's called Engaging the Living God in the Living Word. And the goal of everything, the goal of everything, everything we did today, here, here now, here now, O Jacob, facing this direction, raising ourselves towards the seraphim. The goal of everything that we do is formation, shaping the messianic worldview and way of life in us, and transformation. That is completely changing our worldview and way of life where needed. If we're going to talk about engaging the living God and the living word, we have to start with the living God. The Bible, from the beginning of the Tanakh to the end of the New Covenant Scriptures, speaks of the one true living God as the unparalleled creator king of Israel and the nations. A profound example is found in Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to go out and get it. It's all ready. And we'll just read a few verses from this passage to see that we're talking about the living God, and we want to hear the living word of the living God. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are vanity. And then the text goes on to describe the creation in the culture of idols. And then in verse 6 it says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there's none like you. That was thematic even today, yes? And here's the conclusion of the passage, even though you should read the whole passage. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And when you couple that with verse 11, you have creator, king, living God. Thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And this is why using Exodus 15, 11, we sometimes sing this, me kamoka ba'elim adonai. Who is like you, Lord, among the gods? That is, the other named gods that are no gods at all. Because we speak of the living God, we can speak of the living word. The Bible, from the beginning of the Tanakh to the end of the New Covenant Scriptures, therefore speaks of the living word of God. A profound example is found in Genesis 1, where the entire universe is called into being by the speaking of God. There are ten occurrences of God said in Genesis 1. Therefore, Hebrews 11.3 states, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And also, Perke Avot, Sayings of the Fathers, 5.1a, therefore, states, By ten words or sayings, the world was created. A profound example is found in Deuteronomy 8.3, and this is our key passage 
for this sermon. He humbled you, the Hebrew verb anah, by letting you go hungry. He humbled you by letting you feel hunger. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known. For what reason did he do this? So that you might learn that humanity does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of the Lord. Living by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Hence, we might also understand the living word as the word of God that we live by. Note this, the word translated humbled in Deuteronomy 8.3 can also be translated afflicted. And it appears in the instructions in Leviticus 16.29 and 23.27 to afflict ourselves for Yom Kippur. While afflicting yourselves in this context, refers to practicing self-denial and is not limited to fasting, the point of fasting at Yom Kippur is wondrous. It's designed to do what? Create hunger. And when you're hungry, what are you craving for? Food. We're to take that experience of the physical craving for food by fasting and have that experience when it comes to engaging the living God, engaging the living Word of God. We're to crave for the Word of God like we crave for food when we break the fast at Yom Kippur. Are you hungry like Jeremiah for the living words? Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Are you hungry like King David? The Torah, that is to say, the directive, the instructive, the instruction, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the whole person. And if you continue reading the passage there, there are words in the singular and the plural that fill out this word Torah. And it closes and concludes in verse 10 with this, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. We're talking about the Torah, the instruction of the Lord. These words of God, they are sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Is that illustration fresh in your mind today based on the fact that just last week I saw everybody taking freshly picked, I mean delicious apples, and dripping honey on them, and then tasting that sweetness and saying to each other, to a sweet new year, that is a wondrous act that leads to shaping and transformation. But how about God's word itself being sweeter than the honeycomb to us? Perhaps the most profound example of the living word is found in Hebrews chapters 1 through 4. And look what's put together here. Two things are put together here that are just amazing. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Long ago, many times in many ways. The Tanakh, that's what we start with. And then look what's juxtaposed to that. But in these last days, notice 
that that's first century. That means the last days that everyone's always asking about started in the first century. And in these last days that started in the first century, God has now spoken to us by his son. And this is the book of Hebrews. That's the new covenant scriptures. So notice the two halves of scripture that are put together so that we understand that the speaking of God, the living word of God, starts in the Tanakh and runs all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And so we have this beautiful diagram. But you see that it starts with the Tanakh. That is Genesis to Malachi or Genesis to Chronicles, however you order the books. And all of those contain the living word of God. And then at a certain moment in history, Yeshua the Messiah came, and we got the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, that is the Holy Spirit. And we have the inauguration of the kingship of God. And then we have the inauguration of the new creation, such that any person in Messiah is a new creation. And that birthed the new covenant scriptures. And because of that birth, we could never read the Tanakh the same again. And so understand the relationship is reciprocal. We have to start with the Tanakh and be grounded in Genesis to Malachi or Genesis to Chronicles. And we need to hear the living word in the Tanakh. And then we, we go straight into the New Covenant Scriptures. And that helps us to then read the Tanakh afresh. And so the two are in reciprocal relationship, and the living word of God flows. And I had no way to represent this except in a circle, because while it's two halves, this is a whole. And then in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do we understand the word of God is living and active and does something to us? If we engage the word of God as the living word of God, it will do something to us. It will get down into the fabric of our being and form and transform us. But what is this, the word of God is living, referred to in this passage? I believe context betrays what it is. Look at Hebrews 4, 7. Just a few verses earlier, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Is that saying powerful to us today? Seeing it was our refrain last week, we kept saying it. We kept reading it before the shofar was blown. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is still going on. While it is still today, you have a chance to respond to the living word of God. The word's already quoted, it says. Where? The word's already quoted where? In Hebrews 3, 7 through 9. Therefore, as the Ruach HaKodesh says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. It's also in 3, 14 through 15. For we have been granted a share with Messiah, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So these words are quoted. We've shown where they are in Hebrews' context, but what source are they from? From where do they come? Well, it said David long ago. Where is that? Psalm 95, 6 through 9. And look at how the living God in this passage is juxtaposed to the living word. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. God, creator, king, living God. Did you engage him this morning in everything so that by the time the person giving the sermon got up to give that sermon, you were already formed and transformed in a way you weren't when you arrived? Look what's next. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Wow. So what is the word of God in the word of God is living and active? I think it's the very passage today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. That's the living word of God. God's word itself is living, but a specific passage of God's word was brought to bear on people in the first century all the way from the time of David. And last week in the service, that passage was brought to bear on us in the 21st century so that we could still, while it is today, respond to that word today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Which means our goal when we engage the Bible is to actually hear the living word of God, to hear his voice. So it's amazing, right? I said to you when you were doing the song this morning, I said, what are the chances that you would pick here now to sing before we had this sermon? Surely the Ruach HaKodesh is, is behind us. And that brings us to the living word being the God-breathed word. And if that word God-breathed looks funny to you. It's because we hyphenate God, and if I hyphenate God and breathe, it just looks like I made a mistake. So the living word is the God-breathed word. The word in Greek here is theopanoustos. I once read a 288-page book on that word, only to find out it just means has its source in God. We don't know anything else about it. 2 Timothy 3.15-17, note the childhood theme. That from childhood, you, Timothy, have known the Holy Scriptures, which have the never-ending inherent ability to make you wise unto salvation through trust which is in Messiah Yeshua. All Scripture, at the time that was written, it referred to the Tanakh. All Scripture, now it can refer to the entirety we showed in the circle. All Scripture is God-breathed has its source in God, and is beneficial for teaching, for reprimand, for correction, for training in right-doing living, so that the person of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. When you pick up your Bible to read, when you pick up your Bible to study, when you go to the new observational Bible study course, we need to engage the living God in this manner. So that as we read and as we study, right living comes forth. What's your point? My point is that today we're introducing the observational Bible study course. And we want to make sure that 100% of us have the right starting place 
as we enter that course. And that involves a right view and understanding of the Bible. What is it that we're engaging? If it's a book and we just sit around and read a book like we were reading Moby Dick, and then we say, how do we apply this to ourselves? Trust me when I say we've already fallen short. If instead we pick up that book and we engage the living God and hear his living word, we will automatically be formed and transformed in ways we never dreamed possible. When we were writing this course, I came across this book called Reading the Bible Wisely, an introduction to taking scripture seriously. And after reading it, I had to call Howard and I said, I'm sorry, this project is delayed. I'm rewriting the entire introduction. Why? There's no way we're going to start this course without this, this incredible introduction to engaging the living God in the living word or engaging the living word of the living God. Chapters 10 through 11 provide a profound understanding of how word and action come together in the scriptures as the speech acts of God and thus as the word of God. And they also focus on how we may be formed, that is shaped, and or transformed, that is totally changed by our reading if we properly engage the living God in the living word. One of the most eloquent statements I've ever read on this topic comes from, comes from James Kugel, who we just had a mini course of on at the end of uh, the previous academic year. In one of his writings, he says, after a lifetime of research in the scriptures, he says, let me just some, conclude with some you know, basic observations in random order. This is one of them. Scripture is in one sense the opposite of prayer. Words from God instead of to God. But it makes the what? Same connection. Isn't that just beautiful? Whether you're praying or you're, in, or you're reading or studying the word of God, if, if the way, the manner in which you do it is correct, you're engaging the living God. Let me suggest that the two most powerful disciplines, prayer and the engagement of the living word of God. We practice these two things, we get formed and transformed. We don't practice these two things, we don't get formed, we don't get transformed. They're the two most powerful disciplines, and they lead to the two most powerful outcomes. Formation, shaping the messianic worldview and way of life in us. Transformation, completely changing our worldview and way of life where that is needed. In order to achieve those two outcomes, we need to solve the top three problems associated with Bible reading and study. Problem number one is a lack of understanding Scripture, the Bible, as the living and active Word of God. It's associated with an old idea that we have to read and study the ancient Bible and then apply it somehow to our lives as if it were not already applicable as the living and active Word of God. The problem here is the presumption that somehow the Bible is irrelevant and we have to make it relevant. Solution number one, engage the living God and his living word. And by the way, I had a slide, I took it out. It just said, all repetition in this sermon is premeditated. The next point after that was, all repetition in this sermon is premeditated. 
That went on for three times. This allows us, this allows us to discover all the formative, that is life-shaping, transformative, that is life-changing, and self-involving, that is life-investing, possibilities that the biblical books afford the serious reader. If we invest ourselves in each book in a discipline of personal and communal involvement as members of the people of God, we can expect to receive insight on how to maximize our being, doing, living in the way of the Lord and Messiah. With Briggs, we agree that the closest thing to this approach to the Word of God is the liturgy. In this comparison, we find that Scripture as the Word of God is not just saying something to us, it's doing something to us. Do you have that experience when we recite the liturgy? It is an amazing thing for me as a Messianic Gentile to have been brought into this reality, such that when we're reciting the liturgy, it's actually doing something to me every time. I never leave here the same no matter when I'm here. In response, we then become doers of the word. The normative, that is normal, formative, and transformative principle that is in operation here is found in Psalm 1, in which the encounter and delight in the word of God forms and transforms the one who does what? Invests in the biblical books as a matter of habit day and night. The result is their life is like a tree planted by streams of water, which produces fruit in its season and has leaves that do not wither. What's our goal? Is it to have that on, in a frame on our wall at home as a lovely thought? Or is the goal to have that be our legitimate daily experience because of our investment day and night? The example Briggs uses to make his point Interestingly, seeing we're going into Yom Kippur, is the reading of Matthew 6, 14 through 15 in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. If you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your offenses. Concisely considered, in order to forgive, one must reconstruct the world and one's relationship with the offender and with God. Here's how it works in the first person. By learning this ability, I am remade in my involvement in the act of forgiveness. Remade to be the kind of person who forgives others and is therefore forgiven by God. If I'm not willing to invest in the text, it will not form or transform me. And then I'm back to wondering if or how I will apply these words of Yeshua to my life. Beloved, do not miss this. Do not miss this. This is life transforming. I borrow from Paul here to say, I show you a still more excellent way. We're either going to continue using our Bibles as a book that is ancient unrelated to us, not relevant. We're going to read it and then sit around and discuss how to make it relevant, or we're going to go down a whole new path of taking our our Bibles and realizing the Word of God is living and operative and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
and engage the living word and let it have its work on us as we read and study together as a community. Problem number two is the problem of a bits and parts approach of only ever reading little portions of the word of God. This prevents us from ever understanding the overall biblical story and how its component parts from Genesis to Revelation all fit together in an inseparable whole. And forgive me for using the sports illustration, but let's talk about the number one religion in Ohio, Buckidolatry. Buckidolatry. One more time, Buckidolatry. Thank you, Henry. Okay. Do they paint their faces scarlet and gray and prepare all night the night before and then go to the tailgate party and then wait for the game to begin? OSU Michigan, and then sit there and watch the first down, one down, and then leave? I've had enough. I've seen it down. Let's go do something else. I'm too busy. Is that how we treat that situation? Uh, What about when the Yankees play the, uh, what's that team in Cleveland? The Indians, yes? Do you drive 2.5 hours, get there early, eat, sit down, see the first at-bat, or the first inning and then go, hey, I've seen it that bad, I've seen the inning, let's go. I've had enough. No, what? You want to see the whole game. We're in the greatest game ever to come to humanity. Perhaps we should treat it more than a football game and a baseball game. Solution number two is to establish the habit of reading whole books through and then laboring diligently to attempt to read the Word of God straight through every year. You know, my wife is one of the busiest people on earth, yet every year I see she reads the entire Bible through using a schedule. Even even I am not there. So I'm preaching to myself on this one. This is separate from Bible study. The value of becoming familiar with the one continuous story of Genesis to Revelation is inestimable. Software packages like Olive Tree we both have on our phone Uh, Bible study software or similar apps with annual reading plans to choose from are highly recommended. Listen, why should I go on to Facebook and see that Messianics, people who profess Messiah all over the world, spend a whole weekend together watching a television series so they can know from episode one to episode 301, the whole story, what's going on, all the characters, what's involved, where is that story at? If they can do that, why can't we spend the time to invest in Genesis to Revelation? What is this marathon series watching? How about a marathon Bible reading? Problem number three is the lack of or inadequate study of the Word of God and its component parts. Its component parts being books as whole. And from at least one perspective, it's actually another way of identifying problem number two, the bits and parts approach. Solution number three in part is to practice the soundest method of Bible study. That is to become familiar with the book of the Bible first as a whole, before reading smaller portions of that book and attempting to understand them. Consider selecting one book of the Bible this year to study in detail from start to finish while one is otherwise reading the whole Bible straight through during the year. Look at my own study thing. I'm going to bounce right out of this. Look at this. This is my Bible works program. So I have this up during the reading of Scripture. I have this up when the sermon's going on. 
I always am looking at what's going on in that Hebrew, what's going on in that Greek, and I'm in that English. But notice this tab section up here. If I scroll all the way to the end of my tabs, I have 50 tabs. Notice I have a tab for the Psalms, and I have a tab for reading, which means I have the Psalms all locked and loaded for the morning prayer time. And it means there's a book I'm always going to be reading. And so if you go to my reading tab, what am I currently reading? And I'm at chapter 12. And so just in a couple, two, three days, that whole book will be devoured. Here, we're recommending a solid, a solid study resource or two to assist one to understand and respond to that book on its own terms after learning our new observational Bible study approach. And this topic is addressed in the section on interpretation uh, in that course. And feel free to contact the congregational leader, the education coordinator, and the director of MSI for study resource recommendations for any book of the Bible. And I just want to say, I know those last two guys well. You know, and I know that they're very intense, but they have your best interest at heart. So what's your point? My point is, engage the living God in the living word. As members of the people of God in Messiah Yeshua, let us invest ourselves in the word of God, expecting to engage the living God in his living word and be formed and transformed by our reading and studying. What's at stake? the understanding and living out of God's word, God's 21st century history, our own maturity in Messiah, our children's maturity in Messiah, our grandchildren's maturity in Messiah, the raising up of Messianic leaders and the raising up of Messianic teachers. I borrow this slide from Thursday night's presentation with our parents and teachers of Hebrew school. I did it because of what's there in the middle, and I did it to honor Andrea for investing in children. It says investing in children. The little, the little font in green says, their future is in our hands, and our future is in their hands. What's at stake? Believe it or not, this was written in 1997 by J.P. Moreland in a book called Love Your God With All Your Mind. This is a little clip of it slightly paraphrased by me for clarity. Many people today, including many Messiah followers, simply do not read or think deeply at all. We must recapture our heritage of reading and study if we are to present to our brothers and sisters, our children, our grandchildren, and a post-Judeo-Christian culture, a version of the Messianic way of life, rich and deep enough to challenge the dehumanizing structures and habits of thought of a society gone mad. Imagine he said that in 97. He thought it was mad then. So where do I start? Well, I would encourage you to take Howard's advice to dive into this free course to learn how to engage the living God and the living word and, and work primarily by making observed observations of what the text actually says. I call it Bible study made easier. It's in these four steps. It's in these primary colors. The whole thing is designed to look like it was created for children so that we can childlike go to it and really as adults equip ourselves to really study and read the word like nobody's business. We start with prayer before we study. We do observation at every possible level, come to the course. 
And we do need interpretation. We do need help with interpretation. Listen, there's a famous hermeneutics book. That's the art and science of interpretation. And in it, it tells the story of a woman that was having an extramarital affair behind her husband's back. And then she went to morning devotionals one morning and read the passage in Ephesians that said, put on the new man and use that to divorce her husband and go with the guy. Anybody think that's a good interpretation of Scripture? If so, the remedial training class is in that room later. And then lastly, notice it doesn't say prayer, observation, interpretation, and application. We're talking about something richer, deeper, fuller. We're talking about formation and transformation. And observation can be as easy as starting with these questions, which is what we start with. Who, what, how, where, why, when. Closing word comes to us from Matthew 4, 1 through 4, and highlights the verse we said that was so important from Deuteronomy 8.3. Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by Hasatan, the adversary. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What passage did Yeshua the Messiah choose to throw at Hasatan. But he answered, it stands written. It's the living and active word of God, Hasatan. Humanity shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If Yeshua modeled for us hungering and living by the living word of God, then wouldn't it be true to say that if we are truly his followers, we will do the same? Our closing exhortation, you've heard it before, as members of the people of God in Messiah Yeshua, let us invest ourselves in the word of God, expecting to engage the living God in his living word and be, trans- and be formed and be formed, that is shaped, and transformed, that is radically changed by our reading and studying. Let us pray. So Avinu Malkenu, our Father, our King, we thank you for the extraordinary privilege of being here today. We thank you for everything that took place from the time the opening note sounded. We thank you for all the opportunities you provided for us to engage you, the one true living creator, King God. Thank you that we don't leave here today the same. We also thank you for the privilege of seeing the Bible and your word afresh as the living and active word of you yourself. And we pray that we would never pick up your word, a Bible, an electronic Bible, without reading in a way which causes us to engage you and experience the normative, formative, transformative effect of what it is to be in your presence We thank you again for everything today, including the the little sermonette on on Messiah's table and how that is also engaging your presence. And we pray that we would leave here in the Oneg and be formed and transformed. And this we ask in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.